All right, well, as you have my outline, you can see today our message title is, What Did You Have for Breakfast? That's the title. I never thought I would weave that into a sermon series, What Did You Have for Breakfast? Now, if you're, not, if you're new today or you've not been around too often, you haven't met my son Sam, you will quickly notice Sam's go-to question is, what did you have for breakfast? That's kind of his go-to question he asks everybody. He's kind of learned that probably about seven or eight years ago. It's hard to believe about seven or eight years ago, he wasn't very verbal. He didn't talk much. And he's made up for the last eight, ten years. He's uh, quickly caught up. But one of his go-to questions is, what did you have for breakfast? And so that's my question. What did you have for breakfast today? And it's, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out soon how I got up with that question. But for the last three weeks, we've been doing this series called What's Next? If uh, you were here the last few weeks, you know that I talked about how after you have the Holy Week, after you go from... Good Friday to the resurrection of Jesus, you have this big power-packed week of all the big events in the Bible, and suddenly it's done. And you're kind of wondering, okay, what do we do after this? What do you do? How do you, how do, you do church after the resurrection, kind of the biggest day of the church calendar? And so as I thought about what message do you, about what do you do next, I figured, you know what? All the disciples were thinking the same thing. Okay, now what do we do? What do we do? Jesus rose again from the dead. What do we do? So the last few weeks we've been talking about what is next. And we've been specifically looking at the last couple chapters of each of the Gospels after Jesus rises and he kind of gives his disciples their instructions on what they actually do next. So the last couple weeks we've been in John chapter 20. We've been talking a lot about how Jesus appeared to his disciples. And it's kind of the theme so far in John 20. It's all about everybody Jesus appears to is pretty discouraged. They're a little bit weary and they're a little bit tired. And we can understand why. They just had a whirlwind week. Everything that they thought was not going to happen actually happened. They went through this week where Jesus was killed on a cross and then he rose again from the dead. And they've been through a lot and they're kind of really challenged or tired and they're weary. So when Jesus comes around, he kind of shows them that not only can Jesus resurrect himself, but Jesus has a plan to resurrect every person that's around him. So Jesus comes in his love and kindness and compassion at the end of each of the Gospels to reveal himself to everybody. And so John chapter 20, which we've been in the last couple weeks, it ends with these two verses that are pretty significant. It says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in the book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's how John chapter 20 ends, and it ends that way, and you think, okay, the book's done. You're actually kind of surprised when you turn the page, and there's actually a chapter 21. Because you read John chapter 20, and you think, okay, John just explained the gospel. He explained the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He explained the plan of salvation. So you think the gospel message is complete, because it really is. But he goes on, and he adds chapter 21, and you kind of sit there, and you wonder, why is he adding chapter 21? What is chapter 20 all all about, and why is it kind of needed? Actually, a lot of theologians and scholars kind of wrestle with, why is 21 there? It kind of goes out of the pattern. It almost seems like it was an afterthought, that like it just kind of like a little bit, maybe John wrote the book, and then a few weeks later, he's like, oh, I forgot something. Let me quick throw it in there. So a lot of people kind of wonder the placement of it. So what is John chapter 21 all about? See, in a nutshell, John chapter 21, it's all about Peter. There's other characters, there's other disciples, and there's other people in the narrative, but mainly the entire 
chapter, chapter 21, is focused on Peter. So what is so important about Peter that we're going to dedicate a whole book to him? See, it becomes clear in the next book of the Bible, the book of Acts, that Peter is one of the leaders of Jesus' disciples, one of the leaders of the apostles. He has a big role in the church. He's kind of the leader. He calls meetings. He sends people out, and he has a power of convocation, and he does a lot of preaching and teaching. So he has this big role of authority in the book of Acts, but he wasn't always like that. If you go back to the gospel message, Peter's kind of a different kind of a guy. Peter's the guy that likes a lot of attention. He's the really outgoing guy that's 100% passion, but sometimes he's not all the way 100% wisdom. He kind of gets in trouble by his actions. He's the kind of guy that you like to hang out with because you never know what he's going to do next, but he's also that guy you kind of get a little embarrassed of sometimes with what he does because he's a little bit impulsive. He has so much passion, Peter does, for Jesus that he says in front of the entire group, in front of all the other disciples, he says, you know what, Jesus, I would die for you. I would die for you. And imagine the other disciples are probably sitting there going, oh, Peter, just watch what you say. Why are you saying that again? And in fact, Jesus isn't that impressed with Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and basically says to Peter, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. Jesus goes so far to say to Peter, Peter, you'll actually deny me. You'll actually deny me three times before a rooster crows. Now, you would think Peter, who had spent the last three years hanging out with Jesus, watching Jesus' signs and his wonders and his miracles and his compassion and seeing his power and recognizing who Jesus is, the Son of God, you think Peter would stop there and say, all right, Jesus, why don't you tell me why you think I'm going to deny you? Why don't you tell me why? I mean, that would be a logical question. This guy that you appreciate, that you know is the Son of God, tells you you're going to deny him. Wouldn't you think Peter would entertain and say, Jesus, tell me why? Instead, what Peter does, he almost takes it like a challenge. Like, nope, nope, I'm going to prove you wrong, Jesus. I am not going to deny you. And that's kind of the way, the way Peter goes down. And so actually, you kind of look at Peter sometimes, you think, you know, why would you do that? Why would you, you know, Jesus is telling you something to do, and why, why, would you, why would you deny what he's telling you? But, you know, I think a lot of us kind of do that sometimes. We know what the Bible says. We read what the words of the Bible say, but sometimes we think, oh, that doesn't kind of really pertain to me. That somehow or another, I can get by with not really following what the Bible says. And I think that's kind of what Peter's doing here. He's kind of saying, yeah, Jesus, I know what you're saying to me, but, you know, I really don't think it's really going to apply to me that much. Peter thought that until he heard the rooster crow, until he heard that rooster. And then at that point, Peter suddenly realized, huh, maybe I'm not that strong after all. John doesn't really tell us the reaction of Peter after he heard the rooster crow, but we look in the book of Luke, and Luke says at that moment after the rooster crowed and and Peter realized that he denied Jesus three times. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. See, it's very clear from the Gospel of Luke that Peter's in a lot of pain for his decision, that he's really hurting. And so you're kind of wondering, how is this conflict going to get resolved for Peter? How does Jesus and Peter kind of patch things up? See, we actually sometimes wonder, how did Peter go from denying Christ to becoming one of the biggest leaders of the apostles and preaching to thousands of people? 
How did Peter go from there? What was the bridge to get Peter from denying Jesus to becoming one of the greatest well-known apostles? And I think the bridge to it is chapter 21 of John. See, chapter 21 shows us all about Peter's failures, but it also tells us and shows us how Peter was changed. See, we know that Peter is suffering because of his poor choices, and our big question is, how is Jesus going to deal with Peter? And see, what we see in chapter 1, that Jesus is actually more concerned with Peter's restoration than he is with Peter's failures. See, that's what chapter 21 is all about. Chapter 21 is all about Jesus' concern for Peter's restoration. Chapter 21 is all about Peter being brought back into the story. Chapter 21 is about Peter restoring his relationship with Jesus. But see, there's something real much bigger that we need to see. See, chapter 21 is not just about Peter's restoration. Chapter 21 is about your relationship with Jesus. It's about my relationship with Jesus. See, the gospel message is all about transformation, and the gospel message cannot end until you and I have all experienced a transformation. Chapter 21 is a chapter about making sure that change happens in our life. See, chapter 21 asks us the question, has the gospel message of Jesus Christ actually changed your life? Has the Bible changed your life? Has Jesus actually changed your life? See, my question is, do you have a chapter 21 story? Do you have a chapter 21 story of God restoring things in your life? See, maybe some of you are here today and you're like the disciples. You're kind of tired. You're kind of weary. You're kind of a little discouraged. Maybe you feel a little bit like the disciples. You're like, you know, none of this really turned out at all how I thought it was going to go. And so you find yourself a little bit discouraged. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, this is not at all what I expected. And you're kind of suffering from that. Or maybe you're like Peter and you're just living a life of regret. You know what you did back then and you still really do not feel that reconciled to Jesus. And you're wondering, is there going to be a day of reconciliation? Maybe life is just not working out that well for you and maybe you feel a little bit more like you're just stuck. So you kind of lost expectation. You kind of lost hope. You just kind of feel like you're just going through life, just living, but you really don't expect anything good to really happen. Now, maybe some of you are here today and you're not exactly sure if you're even a follower of Jesus Christ. You might not even be sure if you actually want to really follow Jesus. See, I don't think chapter 21 was an afterthought at all. See, chapter 21's always happen as Jesus' reaction to the situation that's going on in our life. See, Jesus wants to have a chapter 21. Jesus wants to have a chapter 21 in every person's life. See, we know from the Bible that Jesus is, that God is the authority over all. God is the ultimate authority. And because he is the ultimate authority, he is the author. The root word for authority is author. And that means God can rewrite or can add a chapter 21 story to your life at any time. And see, my simple goal today is just to convince you all that Jesus wants to write a chapter 21 story in your life. And maybe there's some of you here today that you have a chapter 21 story, a story of restoration, and God's saying, I want to add to it. I want to make that chapter much, much bigger for you. See, this is a simple truth, that Peter would never have become who God created him to be if he did not experience a chapter 21.
And so my prayer is that all of us, 2019, would be a year of experiencing freedom, of finding freedom, would be a year of a chapter 21 story that bridges us from where we are to the plans that God has for us in the future. So why is Peter hurt? You know, we've talked about it. Peter denied Jesus, and that, that had to be very hard for him. But I think J.D. Greer has a really good point in one of his uh, messages where he says, you know, this is Peter's problem. He says, Peter knows half of the gospel message. He knows that Jesus loves him. He understands the cross. He understands salvation. He understands the resurrection. Peter gets that half of the message. But what Peter has a hard time understanding is that he has a hard time receiving. Peter has this idea that he has to prove himself to Jesus. He's always trying to prove his love to Jesus. He's always trying to, um, to, to, to kind of be first. He wants Jesus to recognize him. See, Peter is a lot like you and I. We understand the message, but we have a hard time understanding what is our role in reaction to what Christ has done for us. We have a hard time some understanding that we need to rest more in the provision of what God has already done for us. See, I think the placement of chapter 21 is really strategic. Now, I mean, it's obvious chapter 21 comes after 20. But 1 through 20 of the book of John is all about what Jesus has done for us. It's all about everything that Jesus has done through his birth and through his death and his resurrection. The gospel message is complete in chapters 1 through 20. And see, after there's chapter 1 through 20, then there comes chapter 21. And this is a chapter of our restoration, but you notice chapter 21 doesn't come after anything that we have done. Chapter 21 comes only after everything that Christ has done for us. There is not a single verse in the Bible that tells us something that we need to do to either earn God's love or to earn his salvation, to earn his restoration. Everything is simply a free gift from God. And that's what Peter's going to learn. He's going to learn about God's love for him. He's going to learn to rest in the plans that God has for him. See, my guess is probably in a crowd this big that everybody has experienced kind of that, that rooster crowing. That moment that you realize, man, I've done something really stupid. That moment you recognize, boy, I wish I didn't do that. And a moment of regret and you wonder, how is this going to work itself out? See, we know that Peter denied Christ, and I think all of us, it's easy to deny Christ in our own way. There's easy ways to deny Christ. You can just deny what's written in his word, and you just be disobedient like Peter was to what God had told him. See, the hard thing that we happens after we have that rooster-crowing moment, that moment of regret, then we try to figure out, okay, what are we going to do to fix it? What am I going to do to fix it? And that's what we love about John chapter 21. It's all about what Jesus is going to do to fix it. It's what Jesus is going to do to show us his plan of restoration. It's to show us that no matter what happens, that Jesus always wants to have breakfast with us and that he's going to have breakfast on the beach as he did with the disciples. See, my guess is when Peter heard the rooster crow, he thought probably it's all over. It's all over. I have gone too far this time. God has been patient with me. Jesus has been patient with me. But this time I have blown it. I've gone too far. I like what Louis Giglio says in his book, The Comeback. He says, we've all let Jesus down, not once, but many times. We've all been in that moment when the rooster crowed and we came to our senses and realized that we just blew something big time. 
We can't believe we put ourselves in a compromising position, said what we just did, acted the way we just acted, or crossed a line we swore we would, never would. That's why the last chapter of John was written. It's to show us that big follow-ups happen, but Jesus still wants to have breakfast with us. And see, when Peter heard the rooster crow, he thought it's over, but when Jesus heard the rooster crow, he thought, you know what, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of a new day for Peter. So I'm not going to ask any of you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I'm going to ask you to think about, do you need a redo? Do you need a reset in your life? Maybe you need to have God step into a situation that you're dealing with and help you bring a chapter 21 out of it. Or maybe you're praying for a person that needs a reset, a chapter 21. Join with me as I read John chapter 21. We'll finally get to what actually John chapter 21 is all about. I'm just going to read the first 17 or 18 verses. It says, Later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. That is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net to the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were too many fish in it. Then the disciple. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found some breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them breakfast and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. That's a lot of reading. All right, so this is a story. Chapter 20. Let's start again. So this is a story. Chapter 21 begins with Peter. He's discouraged. He's upset. He's probably wondering, does it even matter? Does it even matter what I do? Does it even matter what I'm going to do next? He's probably pretty discouraged because, what he, but because of what he's been through. So what do you often do when you're discouraged? What do you do when you're a little frustrated? Sometimes you go back to the last thing that you, you did that made you happy or brought some success or satisfaction in your life. And see, that's what fishing was for Peter. 
Fishing is what Peter did before he had a relationship with Jesus. You remember that's where Jesus found Peter. He found him fishing. So I think Peter's probably thinking, you know what? I bombed out of this following Jesus thing. I'm not really good at that. I'm just, I'm just going to go back to fishing. I'll just go back to knowing what I did before. Maybe that'll bring me some satisfaction. And the other disciples went along with Peter. They're probably feeling the same way, probably a little bit discouraged of what had happened over the last week. And so they're like, let's just go back. Let's, just, let's go fishing. So these guys are out in the boat. They're doing what they did before they met Jesus, but they have this real big problem. They're not catching any fish. See, this is what they did before. This is what they all knew how to do before, and suddenly they're doing what they did before, and they're not enjoying it. It's not bringing them any satisfaction, and I think some of us understand what that's a little bit like if you've been backslidden. Can you go back to what you've done before, and suddenly you realize, you know what, that doesn't work anymore. I'm not enjoying what I did before. And suddenly you're kind of in that hard place of, well, what do I do now? I'm not good at what I did before. I'm not good at what I'm supposed to be doing. You're kind of stuck. And that's where Peter is. That's where Peter is. That's where Peter is with his other friends. They're just kind of sitting there like, I I can't do anything. So they're discouraged and they're frustrated. And then a stranger walks by. It's actually Jesus, but according to the text, he's so far off that they can't even see him. They can't even recognize him. And the stranger, who is Jesus, says to him, hey, have you caught anything? And that's just kind of a rude thing to say to a person who hasn't caught any fish because you're already frustrated. He says, hey, you haven't caught anything, so why don't you try it a different way? You kind of wonder, why is God asking this question? Why is Jesus asking these guys a question he knows the answer to? Well, if you read through the Bible, you know that God has a habit of asking questions that people know the answer to from the book of Genesis. That's kind of God's pattern. He asked Adam and Eve after they sinned. In the Gospels, Jesus would ask a person any healing. Do you really want to be healed? Why does Jesus do that? Why does he ask questions that he knows the answer to? I think the reason Jesus asks questions he knows the answer to is because he wants you to be honest with yourself. He wants you to be able to answer that question and to be honest with yourself. See, when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, how many fish did you get? He, there's a little bit deeper of a question that he was asking. He wasn't just asking, you know, how many fish did you catch? Kind of like if you see a person with a fishing pole, you automatically say, hey, did you catch anything? That's just kind of our natural reaction. See, some of the scholars and the commentaries would say what Jesus was actually really asking is, how is your life working out for you? That he was saying to the disciples in their boat, he's saying, how's that working for you? How's this new plan working for you? You're gone back to fishing. Is that really working? Is that a really good idea? And that is the question that we need to wrestle with. We need to be able to answer the question, how's your life working out for you? Is your life bringing you joy? Is it bringing you satisfaction? Is your life where you thought it would be? Do you think you're on track with the plans that God has for you? Do you think you're off track? And that's what God was saying to the disciples at that question. How are things going? Evaluate your life and be honest because you know what? There's absolutely no change that's going to come to your life until you're honest with your situation. See, as long as we think that the current plan for our life that we are implementing is going to work out in the end, there's never going to be a chapter 21 story in your life. And that's why Jesus is saying to Peter, how's life going for you? Because he wanted Peter to be honest with himself. Because if Peter would start to be honest with himself, then you can see a chapter 121 story come. And then you can see some change coming.
See, I think we kind of wonder, why are these disciples even talking to this guy on the beach? Disciples are so far off in the boat, they don't even know who's on the shore. They can't even recognize it's Jesus, but they're listening to a guy a hundred feet away from him, and, and they're talking to him. See, I think we can't overlook that little point in the Scripture. I think what is highlighted there, I think why John draws that out is he's saying to us, be really careful with the people that are in your life. Because God might put some people in your life that look appear as a stranger, but it's actually going to be him speaking through them. That God is going to use other people in your life to ask you questions. That God is going to ask you other people in your life that will say things to you that will help you have that story of restoration in your life. See, because look what happens after the disciples were honest. After they were honest with Jesus when he asked, you know, how's things working for you? They were honest and said, no, we haven't caught anything. See, once they were honest about their situation, then they started becoming open to more suggestions. And so the suggestion was, why don't you put the net on the other side of the boat? Now, those fishermen could have said, it's obvious, we already tried that. We've been out here all night long. We've gone back and forth all night long. But once they were honest and vulnerable about how things were going in their life, they were willing to try, to some, try something new. And sometimes you have to try something you've done before, but this time it might work when Jesus is telling you to do it. Because we notice all, they had incredible results once they followed Jesus' instructions. So you notice what happens. First, the disciples are honest about their situation. And second, they're going to be, they're open to following the suggestion from Jesus. And the third thing that happens is that they were able to recognize Jesus. See, sometimes what is needed is our obedience to recognize who Jesus is. We saw that with Mary earlier in chapter 20. Once she was obedient with Jesus, she recognized who he was. And so once they recognized him, John the apostle said, look, it's Jesus. And Peter got so excited, and Peter did what he's good at doing. He was the impulsive one and quickly jumped into the water. He jumped in the water and quick swam to shore. While the other disciples, they got in their boat and they came to shore. It's again, it's like Peter saying, hey, I'm going to prove to you. I'm the fastest. I love Jesus most. I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first. And that's the repeated pattern that you see of Peter over and over and over again, trying to prove himself to Jesus, trying to prove that I love you the most. And that's Peter. But now there's a little detail in the story that we have to ask, and I have to answer. The whole question is, why is Peter fishing naked? Because you read in the text that it says this. It says, Now Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped in the water, and he headed to shore. Now, if you go back to the, the King James Version, it will actually say, Peter was naked. And you're all like, okay, now that's just weird. That's just weird. I mean, you thought Peter had problems for denying Jesus, but now he's on a boat fishing naked. That's just weird. And what are you going to do with that? And so you read a lot of commentaries, you read a lot of theologians that are more experts in this, and they all wrestle with the question because the Greek word for naked is naked. He didn't have any clothes on. So most of your theologians try to figure out how you can get underwear on him. You know, they try, well, you know, the custom was, you did that. So anyway, so most theologians, they put some underwear on Peter. So that's good because that's just kind of weird to think he's facing there naked. I don't really have a good, I don't have some good, really good answer to give you about that word for naked because it's just naked and I don't know about the culture back then. But I'll tell you what I think. This is Jack's translation, and this isn't based on some fancy Hebrew or Greek, Greek study or the words. And Cole agrees with me in the back, so, that, so we're okay. So I got, I got someone to back me up over here. 
See, this is my take. See, I think when it says that Peter was naked, what it's saying is that Peter was doing something that he knew he shouldn't be doing. That when the text says it found Peter that was naked, that he was doing something he knew, I shouldn't be doing this. Because when he suddenly recognized that it was Jesus, suddenly he wanted to cover himself. And see, that's what happens sometimes. Suddenly we are doing something we feel really comfortable with, and suddenly Jesus walks in the room and we're like, oh boy, I shouldn't be doing this at all. See, you notice Peter was comfortable being with his friends naked, fishing. But some, suddenly when he realized it was Jesus, he's like, I gotta put some clothes on. See, normally you don't put clothes on to jump in the water and go swimming. See, I think what Peter was doing, he was recognizing when Jesus came in the situation, yeah, I, I have some problems here. I have some issues in my life. I have some shame going on in my life, and I'm kind of really wrestling with some of the choices that I made. I'm starting to kind of feel uh, a little vulnerable for maybe some of my past. And I think when Jesus meets Peter, and Peter sees Jesus again, That would have been a rooster. That would have been really good. <laughs> so I think when Peter sees Jesus, he, he's starting to feel kind of the heaviness of what he had done. I think he's starting to feel some of the shame of what he has done. But see, at this point, I think what it's good to notice is that Jesus wasn't that concerned with what Peter had done. See, Jesus' concern at that point is to get Peter to the table. Jesus is more concerned with the invitation for Peter to come and have breakfast. That's the compassion that you're starting to see Jesus in the story. Jesus wasn't there to say, Peter, you know, you did it again. Now you're standing there naked and vulnerable. Jesus wasn't interested in that. Jesus was interested in preparing a breakfast for Peter. Jesus was showing that compassion. So Jesus serves the disciples a breakfast. See, once again, the resurrected king is still the servant that he was when he was walking on the earth. And so after they have breakfast, Peter draws John to the side. He starts asking him some questions. He's offering Peter a time of restoration, healing. And you know it's a serious time because Jesus uses Peter's full name. And again, Peter... Jesus is more concerned with Peter's heart than he is anything that he's done before. So Jesus starts this conversation with Peter and he's going to ask Peter if he really loves him. So I think you thought it was kind of a hard question when you say, Peter, how's your life working out for you? That seems like a hard question for us to answer. Is your life going the way you think it should go? Is your life satisfying? Is your, are your, your plans following Jesus? Is that working out for you? But now Jesus asks Peter a really hard question. He says, Simon, son of Peter, do you love me more than these? See, earlier in chapter 18, when Peter said, hey, Jesus, I, I Peter said basically, I love you more than these, and I would give my life up. See, earlier Peter was kind of saying, I love you more than these other disciples do. And now Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? So Jesus is asking Peter a pretty tough question. Do you love me? And Peter says, replies and says, you know I love you. And Jesus responded, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked him the question again. He says, do you love me? 
And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, okay, take care of my sheep. And then a final time, Jesus asked him the same question, do you love me? And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus asked him three different times. There's a whole lot of big message that you can unpack and why Jesus asked him three times, a little beyond the scope of where I want to go today. But Jesus asked him three times, do you really love me, Peter? And again, we know that Jesus knows the answers to these questions. But what he's trying to do is help Peter to be honest. Do you really love me? And see, it's interesting because when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Jesus is saying, do you love me so much that you would surrender everything over to me? Do you love me that much? And Peter responds and he says more, I love you like a brother. But Jesus still says, okay, go take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. So I think the interesting thing here is Jesus saying to Peter, okay, now you're being honest with me. The love I want you to have for me still has a way to go. But you're on track with me, Peter. You're on track. You're being honest. You're not where you need to be yet, but I'm still going to commission you as my apostle. I still want you to take care of my sheep, even though you're not exactly where you need to be yet. And I think sometimes we think in our life, oh, I got to have everything really figured out. I got to be really good. I got to be perfect. I got to be absolute in every area of my life before I can really serve God faithfully. And I think Jesus is saying, look, Peter, you, you start being honest with me. Yeah, you maybe don't love me fully like the servant yet, but you're getting there. You're getting closer in your relationship with me every day. So I'm going to trust you to do what I called you to do right now. And I think that's a beautiful part of the text is where Jesus is reaching out to Peter and he's saying, you're not there yet, Peter, but I'm proud of where you're at. You're on track. You're making progress. You're moving forward in your relationship with me. And that's what I'm concerned about. See, Jesus didn't have this bar set so high that Peter could never, ever reach it. Jesus said, come, you're doing good, Peter. But you do kind of wonder, because Jesus keeps asking Peter the same question over and over again, you kind of wonder, is Jesus getting a little annoyed with Peter? Or now, because you know that Peter's getting annoyed, because the text actually says that Peter was grieved. It's easy to read this text, and you think, Jesus, are you just kind of rubbing it in Peter's face? Kind of like, Peter, you know, come on. You keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again as Jesus rubbing it in his face. So he's not doing that at all. When you really examine the words and the, the word about the Peter was grieved and you understand that verb a little bit more, what it really means is that Peter was starting to become really saddened by his actions. That Peter was starting to really understand the consequences of not only what he had done, but he was also starting to understand what Jesus was trying to do for him. And that's the place where Peter was at when Jesus was asking these questions. He wasn't annoyed with God. He wasn't annoyed with Jesus. He was starting to feel the weight of what he had done wrong. But he's also starting to sense what Jesus was going to do for him. See, Jesus was actually being extremely tender with Peter. He was showing Peter great kindness and great compassion for him. He was showing Peter the principle that we have such a hard time sometimes remembering that your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with your past. That your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with your mess-ups. 
But your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with your screw-ups. Your relationship with Jesus has everything to do with what he has done, what he has done for you. And see, Jesus was trying to say, Peter, look at your failures. Understand them. Understand your weaknesses. Stop trying to pretend they don't exist. See, Peter was, Jesus was saying to Peter, I know you messed up. We all know you messed up. But you didn't blow your future. You didn't blow your future, Peter. See, what the Lord's trying to do here is he's trying to say to Peter, you need to understand your limitations. You need to understand your weaknesses. And that's okay to admit your weaknesses. That's okay to admit your failures. That's okay. It's okay to have limitations. He's saying to Peter, stop trying to pretend you're somebody who you're not. Stop trying to pretend you're this really bold guy that you're the first to be in line to, to say you'd be killed for me. Stop trying to pretend that you're someone you're not. Instead, understand your weaknesses so that you can be totally dependent on me. That's the message that the Lord is trying to get through Peter. It's okay you have your weaknesses. It's okay you have your doubts. It's okay you have your limitations when you start to recognize that I'm the one who's going to give you strength. See, earlier in John chapter 15, John's telling the story of Jesus' vine and that we are the branches. And the whole message of this is that apart from Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing on our own. And Jesus is trying to get that message to Peter, saying, Peter, you can't do anything without me. So stop, why don't you just give up? Give up on your own ability and recognize that you're weak in this area and recognize that I am strong in this area. Peter, it's okay that you have weaknesses. It's okay that you're not good at some of these things because when you recognize what you're not good at, that makes you actually more dependent on Jesus so you can do what he's called you to do. See, I think sometimes we get this message going in the church and sometimes in careers. We think, okay, if you're going to serve Jesus, you know, what are you good at? What are your really good skills here and there? Let's write down all the things you're good at and then you can serve Jesus in this way. I think so much of the illustrations you see in the Bible is basically Jesus saying, okay, what are you really bad at? What are you really bad at? And then I'm going to have you do that. That's what you're going to be in charge of. Peter, you're really impulsive. You make stupid choices. You disobey me. Okay, we'll make you the leader. You see that pattern over and over again in the Scripture, but we kind of do with ourselves, say, oh man, that's where I'm really weak. I'm not good at that area. I can't do that. Don't put me in charge of this area because I'm not good here. You know know how many times I've relapsed. Don't put me in charge here. And God's like, no, you're going to be in charge. You're like, wait a minute. Why would God do that? See, God's just like, if you're dependent on me, you can do anything. And Peter caught on to that. Peter was finally catching on that it's okay to have limitations because Christ wants to make up for those. Christ wants that in our life. To pay it. I think the best day in your life is you're okay with your weaknesses. That you're okay, that you're kind of a screw-up. Because that's where Jesus comes in and you can lie on him. See, the book of Lamentations tells us that God's faithfulness is new every morning. It says, great is his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each morning. See, that means there's always breakfast on the beach with Jesus. 
See, there's never condemnation. There's always love, and there's always acceptance, and there's always compassion, and there's always provision. See, when Jesus had breakfast on the beach, everything was there that you need. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to go to breakfast on the beach and think that you got to bring the fish and that you got to bring the bread. Jesus says, no, I'm going to provide every single thing that you need on that beach every single morning. See, maybe you're here today and you're that place like Peter where you're in that place between, I know I screwed up and I know that God wanted a plan for me, but I'm stuck here in the middle. What do I do? Maybe you feel like life just isn't working out that well for you. Maybe it just feels like things aren't going that well and you really don't have a lot of hope that things could really change that much. See, that's where the Bible says, come. That's who's invited. That's who's invited to the table. People that are weary, that are broken, that are hurt, that feel marginalized, that feel like they've screwed up, that they feel like they screwed up over and over and over. Come to the tables for people who feel like they messed up so bad they're probably not even invited. That's who gets invited to the table over and over again. That's who Jesus invites to the table. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't even know if I'm invited to the table because I don't even think I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, you can take care of that today. See, that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ when you just simply say, I'm gonna, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. That the plans that I've been following in my life aren't working out. And you get to that place and say, but no, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow what Jesus is telling me in his word. I want to follow the word of God. That's going to change your life when you recognize that you want to follow Jesus' plans and not your own. And that's what we call salvation. That's when you give up being the leader, but you say, no, I want to follow the one who is the leader. And if you're here today, that might be the first time that you might say, you know, today I'm making a change in my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to put Jesus first in my life, and I'm going to follow him. And you're wondering, how do I do that? You can simply be sitting where you're at today and just say a simple prayer and just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today, and I want to follow you. See, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's your heart. It's a heart issue with the Lord. Sometimes while you say the prayer, it helps make it more real in your life. Really, salvation is just God changing things in your heart, giving you the desire to follow him. That's actually what's happening. It's God's doing this inside of you. But sometimes you say the prayer, like you remember, yeah, today I was at Lake Effect Church on Sunday, Mother's Day, and I actually said, God, I want to follow Jesus today. Because sometimes when you do that, it makes it more real. So maybe some of you today are saying for the first time, I really want to follow Jesus. Or maybe some of you today and you're like, yeah, it's time for me to come back to that breakfast table. It's time for me to come back to Jesus and be really honest with him and be really honest with how my life is working out. And I think it's interesting in this gospel account when they were having a conversation with somebody about how life was working out, it was a stranger. It was another person. And God is probably going to put people into your life that are going to have conversations with you to help you work out things in your life. But see, the invitation is for every single person to come to the table. It's to come to the table. 
See, I think the beautiful thing about the gospel and the beautiful thing about chapter 21 is that you're not needed. God had everything at that breakfast, but you're wanted. You're not needed, but you're wanted by God. And that means a whole lot more than when God wants you because he loves you and he has a plan for you and a purpose for you in a chapter 21 story for you. That's the beautiful thing of chapter 21 is that Jesus wants you. He wants you really bad. He wants that deep relationship with you. He wants to give you a chapter 21. He wants to give you a comeback. He wants to give you a story of hope and restoration and healing. He wants to take those things that you've done in the past and you were so embarrassed about that it just makes you feel so vulnerable and say, no, I'm going to rewrite that. I'm going to rewrite that. Peter, you're not going to be known for just what the stupid things you're gonna, you've done. You're going to be known as the apostle in the books of Acts that was the leader. You're going to be known as a guy that preached to thousands. You're going to be known as a guy who 3,000 people responded to his message. How does that happen? It happens when God gives you a chapter 21 story. and says, let me rewrite what's gone on in your life. Don't let the last chapter of your life be your regret. But let the last chapter be about your, about your restoration and your comeback. So, Father, I thank you today for John 21. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good father and that you have good plans and that you have a chapter 21 for every person here that you have a plan to give every single person a comeback. And Lord, I pray for anybody here right now, Lord, that's thinking, oh, I hope he has a comeback for me. Maybe some of you are saying, God, I need a comeback. I need a chapter 21. Lord, I pray that you'd give everyone here the courage to believe that you want to do a chapter 21 like you did for Peter. I pray, Lord, that they would have the boldness too, Lord, to examine themselves and be able to answer honestly, how are things working out for you? And to be able to answer the question, do you really love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? Because, Lord, we know you asked that question because you want what's best for us. So, Father, I pray that you minister to each person here today that you'd reveal yourself to each of us in a new way, with new courage, Lord, to come to the table to have breakfast on the beach, to have breakfast of restoration and breakfast of wholeness. Lord, I pray that every person here would have the courage to go to the beach and to sit on the beach and to have breakfast with you. Lord, I just, I just invite you during this last song that the team leads us to just reflect on that question. Would you have breakfast on the beach? Do you want to come and have breakfast with Jesus?